Hey guys, how you doing? Welcome to the show, and today is a very special guest. First time he's been on the show. Now, I remember him from back in the day of the two anger guys. We used to listen to him every single morning, and sometimes I agreed with him, sometimes I didn't. But either way, they're very entertaining. He is Richard Skinner. What's going on, Richard? I'm doing great, Iceman. How are you? Good, man. Good. Now, you are a man of many jobs right now. You you are the uh, uh, content creator the uh, for Local 12 for their, for their blog. Yep. You also had the Skinny Podcast. How long have you been doing the Skinny Podcast now? Uh, about four years. Rick Boring, who uh, who covers Xavier, um, has his own. He does Musketeer Report, uh, MusketeerMadness.com. Uh, he uh, he and I have been friends for a long time. He's, he's been working at Channel 12 as a digital uh, news writer, if you will. And he wanted to start one uh, about four or five years ago. He, Chad Brendel of Bearcat Journal, and I were doing a college basketball one, but he wanted to do a separate one. So we kind of spawned off into that. It was kind of unfortunate last year we didn't do the college basketball with Chad only because we also were doing a post-game Bengals podcast each each week. And it kind of almost took you right almost to March Madness. So right. hopefully we'll get the basketball one back uh, at some point, maybe next year. But, you know, that, that, that means hopefully uh, that would mean that it would not be good for the Bengals. So it, it worked out just fine. We, we had the Bengals podcast going as well. Right, exactly. So, so let's talk a little bit about last year and what a magical season that was with, you know, Jackpot Joey Burrow coming back from the, the knee injury. Uno, Jamar Chase can't catch a football, can't catch a full cold, you know. Nothing's going to go right. The offense line's going to be terrible, yada, yada, yada. And lo and behold, the Bengals go to the Super Bowl, and they, you know, are seconds from – or less than a minute from winning it. What was that like covering? Because I know you've been here for the 90s and 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 all the way up to now. What was that like covering that last year? It, it was surreal. Um, you know, I was a, I was a college student uh, the first time they went to the Super Bowl. My dad was a season ticket holder. Um, I didn't get a chance to go to that because the the semester, uh, my second semester, my freshman year had just started. But my father went. Um, he and my uncle went to the Super Bowl in Miami, so I didn't get a chance to 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 process that other than just being kind of a fan and, and watching it from from afar. So yeah, to be a part of it, especially it, it was just so unpredictable the way it took place. I mean, let's not forget. You know, they don't beat Kansas City. They may not win the AFC North and not even go to the playoffs. And right. yet there they are in the playoffs. And then the whole buildup of haven't won one since 1990. And, you know, can they finally break that? And it seemed like everything else after that was icing on the cake. And that sounds silly when you just mentioned you were that close to winning a Super Bowl. But it kind of was icing on the cake because I think just winning that that game against the Raiders was okay. That stigma's past everything. That stigma's past this organization. And then the Tennessee win and then the improbable comeback at Kansas city. And then you're right to almost win the super bowl. And the great part is this wasn't like the end of a window for guys. Like it's, right. you know, the quarterback's 11th year and right. your star wide receivers ninth year. And you got a bunch of guys who are going to be free agents. You have the window just opening. I mean, I think just making the playoffs last year was a nice opening to the window. Now it's okay. You had one real weakness on this team, the offensive line. You spent an offseason trying to fix that, and hopefully they have. Right. And you go into this year with a better roster in theory than you did last year when you went to the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. I mean, it can't get any better than that, right? right. I mean, that. I mean, that's where I think Bengals fans are so excited about this year. And, and I, I always keep trying to tell everybody to, to try to enjoy this because sure. I know myself, when we went to the five-year playoff run and in all Marvin Lewis years, we never won a playoff game. And all I cared about, it seemed like, was, Winning that first freaking playoff game. Yep. Like you said, we got that that over with. Now, now, like you said, it's the door is opening, is wide open. The Super Bowl window is wide open right now, and it, it opened a year early. I mean, a lot of quote-unquote experts said, yeah, the Bengals might be a year away from it. Well, they kicked the door down last year. And with the additions of L.L. Collins, Alex Kappa, Ted Karras, and just the experience of last year, this team 
could, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's almost Super Bowl or bust this year, I think, for those guys. Yeah, the one thing that's interesting is that the national narrative now is, was that a, a fluke? Was that luck? Was that, um, you know, it happens in sports where just occasionally you have a team kind of come out of nowhere. And that does happen. That is that is real. That is a real thing. But I think it's given these guys enough of a chip on their shoulder to say, hey, we're going to prove that this wasn't luck, that we are a good football team. Mike Hilton's talked openly about that. And Mike was part of playoff teams in Pittsburgh, so he knows about about being part of playoff teams. And you have a quarterback who's, who's got that swagger, has always had it, and it didn't take him going to the Super Bowl for him exactly for him to, to continue to have it. But I, you know, he's the kind of guy that, like a lot of guys in sports, everybody needs some level of motivation. And for them, I think this year is okay. You know, you you think last year was a fluke? That's fine. And maybe maybe to some degree, I mean, there was a lot of luck involved. Let's not forget how many close wins there were. Right, but right. you put yourself in position to let that luck manifest itself into wins. I think that's where this this group of players in this team. If they needed some incentive, because there's the talk of, are they going to regress? Well, they could. They certainly could. A lot of things can happen. Um, but I think if they needed a chip on their shoulder, they got a big one for, from yes. what the national narrative is, is this team was lucky rather than good last year. Absolutely. And and, and you, you're right to to a certain degree, but I always preface it this way with the playoffs. It ain't luck if you go to Tennessee, the number one right. seed, and no, you beat them right. in Tennessee. And you go to Kansas City, who you know was the greatest show on turf or whatever, and you beat them. That's not luck. But now getting to that point, yes, I agree. There were some luck, but once we got in the playoffs, once they got that that over that hump of the first playoff when, like I said, it was icy on the cake, and it just looked like, like for all of us fans, the pressure was lifted, you know. And I don't, the players never felt that pressure of winning the first playoff game. I don't no, think. and I think that's important too, and that that's part of what what the new group is. I, I the, the, trust me, the Marvin Lewis group, the pressure was yes. real for those guys. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, I can remember a year that they. they uh, they actually were really good. It was, I think it was 13 or 14. I guess it was 14. They went up to New England on a Sunday night and just got destroyed. They were yeah. 3-0 going into that, that game. Yep. Um, all the conversation was, is this team ready finally to win in prime time? Is Andy Dalton ready to win in prime time? And I remember I went up to Reggie Nelson after that game, and I said, Reggie, does, it, does this thing worse because it's another one in prime time? And Adam Jones was behind him with his back to me, and he turned around. I won't give you the expletive he said. He said, like, yeah, dude, it's so worse. And I said, I, you know, and you could tell that that pressure was always building, and it built year to year. Maybe year one they didn't feel it. Year two, yes. Year three, definitively. Year four, you got to win now or bust. And unfortunately, I think year four was the, the game in Indy where they, yes. you know, they were decimated by injuries and not good enough. And then by year five, it looked like it was going to happen. It was oh. done happening. Oh. And then it didn't happen. And then I think at that point, that's when you could see they'd reached the peak and it was time to start over again. You're right. None of these guys were, were, were a part of that for the mm-hmm. most part. The only two really were Kevin Huber and Clark Harris. Right. And they've done their job pretty well for 13 years. So, you know, I'm not worried about those guys feeling the pressure. So, no, I think it being a bunch of fresh, fresh faces, fresh guys, fresh coaches um, kind of allowed them to play more loose and not have to worry about that pressure of going 0-7 like Marvin's teams did. Right. Now, I know a lot of the the national media and stuff kind of make fun of Bengals fans because we get so excited. We're getting excited. We're getting an indoor practice facility. And now I think some of us are excited about the new uh, stadium name, which came out today. It's going to be Paycor Stadium, which I was kind of surprised that it's Paycor Stadium and that Paycor Stadium at Paul Brown Field, you know. Yeah, no, actually, 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 I was hoping it would be reversed. I asked Mike Brown that at Media Day uh, a couple of weeks ago of would you like your father's name to stay on the stadium? And he was kind of um, wishy-washy, I guess is the term. He didn't really answer the question. He said, mm-hmm. we'll cross that, that bridge when it comes to it. I honestly, I'm kind of with you. I always thought it was going to be whatever, and in this case, Paycor, Paycor Field at Paul Brown Stadium. Right. I still think that there should be a way, you know, maybe you put his name on the field when all is said and done, and maybe right. we'll see that at some point before the regular season starts. I doubt we see it by Friday, but we might, and maybe that's 
what they do. But it is a little disappointing. I, listen, the naming rights thing had to happen. Yes. Folks, if you want Joe Burrow in town mm-hmm. and he's going to need guaranteed money, they are mm-hmm. taking the naming rights money, at least a chunk of it, and they're going to put it in escrow, which you have to do to guarantee contracts. This was a much-needed move. Mike Brown finally understood that in the way contracts are going. Guaranteed contracts weren't a thing years ago. They're starting to become a huge thing across this league, and part of it is – if you're signing a guy to guaranteed money, you literally have to have that money in an account. So that mm-hmm. this was smarter them to, to get ahead of it with this. Um, I still would like to, to honor Paul Brown. I would hope they yes. do that in some way, shape, or form. Like I said, Paycor Field at Paul Brown Stadium or Paycor Stadium, Paul Brown Field at Paycor Stadium, however you want to do it. I, I think he needs to be a part of that. And well, another thing that that's uh, kind of starting up on Twitter, and I, I've kind of said this for the last couple of years, you know, we got so many different statues at GABP for all the different players. If we have one statue, to me, it should be Paul Brown, no and and that's that's with with the you know the money they're getting now. Hope they can use that toward that. And I think the perfect place is you know right where the players come come out there. There's the entrance. They have the big banner there. Welcome yep. to the jungle or, or yep. seas today or whatever it says. Now I can't remember. I think right there where everybody drives by, that's a perfect place to put a statue of Paul Brown. That that, that to me is if if it's not going to be Paul Brown Field or anything, at least get the man a yes. statue because it wasn't for him. There's no, there's no have, yeah. There's no Bengals. That's so. pretty. That's pretty silly. Yeah. A, a, I mean, and and not only was the it was he the founder and, and all of those things, but the guy was still a hell of a coach. I mean, obviously he's more noted for what he did in Cleveland, but right. the fact he took a Bengals team to the playoffs in his third year, the '73 team was a great team. Just ran into the Miami Dolphin buzzsaw his last year. That team went out to Oakland in '75. I mean, he made three playoffs in in the span of from '68 to '75. That tells me the guy was always a great coach in Cleveland. He was a great coach here as well. And I'm with you. There's no more iconic person to this organization than Paul Brown. And there's got to be a way to honor him in some way, shape, or form. And I, a, sta- a statue would be would be apropos. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad you, you brought up the, the 70s. And that, that's one thing I love about the Ring of Honor. And, and I love this about Bengals fans this year. I'm so happy that Isaac Curtis is getting in first. I got no, nothing against Chad Johnson I, or anything. I got, but- I got my guy, though. I got my guy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stump for him since you brought it up. Who's that? The second best player in Bengals history, and I love Isaac Curtis, and I love okay. Ken Anderson, and I love Ken Riley. Okay, Lamar, Lamar Parrish is yes, the second I'm, best. Oh, yep, uh, that's that's hey. my that's my guy next year. That's the one I'm, I'm going to sub for next year because I think they should have you know a guy from the '70s, early '80s, and then a modern guy. You yeah, know, I, I, th- I think you're going to see that fall into place. Yeah. Ice, I, I really do. I, I think, and I think you saw that this year. Willie Anderson obviously is has been on that Hall of Fame cusp. I think this is a good way to push him yes. maybe over that to that. Mm-hmm. Ken Anderson, uh, um, Isaac Curtis, um, if you look at the raw numbers, they don't jump off the page at you. Played in a completely different era. They literally rewrote the NFL record book because of the way defensive backs mugged him off the line of scrimmage. But Lamar Parrish was, yeah, Lamar Parrish was literally, by, by pro football reference, yeah. One of the two all-decade cornerbacks from the 1970s. Yep. He made six Pro Bowls in eight years. He scored 12 non-offensive touchdowns. He had at least a blocked field goal return, a kickoff return, multiple punt returns, multiple interception returns, fumble returns. No, he didn't have the interceptions Ken Riley did. And I'm not here to besmirch Ken Riley in any way, shape, or form. Right. There's one reason Lamar Parrish didn't have Ken Riley's interception totals. They didn't throw at Lamar Parrish. <laughs> exactly. Right. They threw at Ken Riley. Yeah, exactly. And he did pick them off, so that was a he good did. thing. Yeah, and, and well, that's the thing, too, is that's what I keep saying about the teams in the 70s. We had some really good freaking players. The, the problem was the freaking Squealers had all you know an all-decade team, and yeah, there wasn't the, as many playoff uh, teams as there is now. So, I mean, if they had as many playoff teams as they do now, it would be a lot, a lot different. I think they're, they're, you know, we would have more playoff runs, and who knows what would happen. But that's one of the things that, that always drives me nuts, that people always think, because of the 90s, that the Bengals have always stunk. Like, no, in the 70s and, really, and, 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 and throughout the 80s, 
they were a good team. Yep. You know, they had bad years here and there like everybody else does, but for the most part, they were a good team. Yeah, no, no question. And, and, and Paul Brown's the one that laid the foundation for that. And, uh, you know, I wrote a lot of columns, um, you know, uh, after Paul died that kind of landed demarcation for success until the Marvin run. And in, certainly until last year was, was Mike Brown, unfortunately. And there was a lot of things that Mike Brown didn't do that he probably should have done to make this team more competitive through the nineties into the two thousands. And I think Marvin did some of the, some good things to get that ball back rolling that kind of ran its course. And I think now you've seen Mike to his credit, um, take his hands away from a lot of things and allow Duke Tobin to make some football decisions, allow his daughter, Katie, and, and, and her husband, Troy Blackburn, and now their, their child, Elizabeth, to be a part of some decision-making processes from, from the Ring of Honor to um, naming rights for the stadium, probably talked him into it, to enhance things during the game and in pregame and, and, and all of those things. And I, I'll applaud Mike for that. It took him a long time, in my opinion, to kind of loosen the reins and let – people do their job but he finally did and now you're reaping the benefit if you're a Bengals fan yeah exactly I mean the the from how this organization has changed from the day they drafted jackpot Joey Burrow to what it is now is is night and day just and and I call it the the jackpot uh, effect you know it's it's unbelievable of what they do now I mean Richard we're signing free agents I mean we were one of the first guy first teams out there to sign a free agent this year and it was an offensive lineman which we've wanted I mean it, the, just the stuff that they're doing, I never thought it would happen. To be honest, as as things went throughout the '90s and, and through the Marvel Lewis years, it's it's amazing. Well, and and I think fans deserve some credit for that because it, they spoke volumes by not going. And, and I know that's probably going to make some people mad that that did go, probably like yourself. That hey, I was a staunch fan and I kept going. And why don't you? Well, some of those fans I think really did speak volumes to Mike Brown. Of listen, if you're not going to change your ways, it's not worth my 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 money. And and so. You're right. Getting Joe Burrow was certainly the first building block piece to that. But then mm-hmm. that offseason of signing DJ Reader and signing Trey Waynes, while the Trey Wayne signing didn't work out, it was still the right thing to do at right. the time. Mm-hmm. Mackenzie Alexander, they had to start rebuilding that defensive side of the roster. That continued into to last offseason with, you know, signing Wouzier and signing Mike Hilton, um, it's signing Larry Joby. I mean, you, you, you could see they, they had to rebuild that side of it. And I know it kind of came at the detriment of not fixing the offensive line last year. And it's kind of the Rome wasn't built in the day. So what did they do this year with their money? They went and signed those guys that allowed them then in the draft to start to draft nice depth pieces that you can plug in in the future. It wasn't, right. Hey, we got to have a center in Billy price. Well, they forced the Billy price uh, draft pick and, and because they needed a center and it didn't work out. That's what happens when you force draft picks. They forced in a way the John Rock, we got to have a guy who can take the top off the defense, despite him having some injury issues and maybe not being really all that proven. They kind of forced their hand when they got back to this position of having a roster that really doesn't have any glaring holes. You could argue maybe no holes of, of any note barring injury, of course, right. then you can start to draft for future needs. You can, Draft Dax Hill for the future, knowing you're probably not going to have Jesse Bates after this year if you have him this year, which I do think they will have him this year. But um, you're allowed to do that. And so to their credit, they did do things differently. That's why I go back to these last two or three years. I think Mike Brown has just said, "Okay, you guys do it. I'm going to let you try to fix this. Um, I've always been a big believer that Mike wanted to do it his way, that he wanted to prove to himself or to his father. I know football. I can do this. We couldn't. And, And he needed help along the way. And finally. I think he's relented into some of this, and now you're, you're you got the benefits of it. Yeah, exactly. And, and I I think that uh, Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor are, are one of the same. You know, because I, I think Marvin and Duke, like the John Ross pick. You know, I, you know, I we that all know. Water. Yeah, Marvin didn't want him. We all we all know that already. Duke did. 
I don't think we have that with Zach and Duke. I, I think everybody that's in that organization from the scouts all the way up to Mike Brown are all on the same page more now than I think they ever have that I can ever remember that was since Paul Brown has passed away. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, uh, you know, there was a little bit of, deb- I don't say it was debate, but you know, the, the year that they took Burrow, Justin Herbert was obviously there too. They went right. to the senior bowl and the staff loved Justin Herbert. Right. They thought a lot of Justin Herbert, but I'm going to guess internally, they all kind of got together and said, listen, Joe's our guy that we, you know, right. we might love Joe. We, you might love him more than Joe in some ways. I might love Joe, but they came to, to, to a consensus. Remember last year, the debate of Penny Sewell versus right. Jamar chase. And that yep. could have been an internal argument for all we know. And it turned out they made the right selection in, in Jamar chase. And I think you're right. I think a lot of that, when it goes in concert, you can see you have draft success versus right. draft failure. Right. Exactly. Now I want to roll back to, to one of the free agents that, that you uh, talked about that the first time was DJ reader. And, I I'm gonna go oh, stuff for him because I think he is such an underrated player. If you go back and watch his highlights in that Tennessee playoff game, we don't win that game without him. He was unbelievably dominant, I, and I think it's a shame that he has not made a Pro Bowl yet or anything. I, I'm hoping this year's the year to getting with Larry O out, and you know, maybe he'll get some more sacks and some more publicity this year. Yeah, I, I think the problem for him is you can't measure him in stats. He, he's not a dynamic pass rusher. Um, he'll probably be off the field on most pass rushing downs, I, I think. I think you'll see a, a line that has Osai um, and, and Hendricks on the outside, Hubbard and B.J. Hill or Cam Sample on the inside. But he does play an important role. I mean, he's taken on two guys, and it mm-hmm. allows that guy where Larry Joby played when he played the three technique to just literally get through the gap get through it quickly. He was really good at it. BJ Hill's really good at it. I think it allowed them because BJ showed what he could do last year to let Larry walk, um, free up some money to do some other things with. And I think that's the unfortunate part sometimes for defensive line play. I think we got spoiled by Geno Atkins because Geno yeah. Atkins could record sacks and he was great at rushing the passer and great at everything he did. And, and truthfully, he was probably honestly a year or two, another great year or two away from from being a Hall of Famer and still might be under consideration for all we know. But yeah, DJ Reader is one of those guys you're never going to see big sack stats. You're probably never going to see big tackle stats. But you can ask Trey Hendrickson to his left or BJ Hill to his right or the linebackers behind him. What does he mean to that defense? And he means an awful lot. Exactly. Now, we had a, a, a jackpot uh, Joe Burrow sighting yesterday of him actually throwing a football. Now, I was ever on the sideline with, with you. And they had all the army guys or whatever to wait. I'm like, what's going on over? So I walked all the way over there. And by the time I got there, nothing was going on. And Ben Baby walks by me. He goes, Hey, Ice. He goes, Did, did you see J- Burrow was throwing? I go, Joe was? He goes, Yeah. I'm like, Oh, I missed now, it. It so was I, just it was just a soft toss back to the equipment guy. Uh, but it was a pass. It was a pass. He did throw a pass. He did throw a pass. It wasn't a formal pass, but uh, you know, I, I think um you know, there was a podcast that his dad did with with uh, with Dave Lapham over the weekend or on Friday, I guess it dropped, in which he kind of laid out a timeline of a few weeks. I think sounded very alarming that, hey, a few weeks from Friday puts you really close to maybe not being ready for the opener. And I think Joe uh, yesterday wanted to show everybody that he's getting better right. quicker rather than, than, than later. Now, listen, do I expect him at practice on Wednesday? No. Do I expect him to be throwing by next week formally? Probably not. But I do think you'll get him throwing in some way, shape, or form probably the week of the Rams game. I don't think he's going to play in that game. Didn't matter last year. He played three snaps and it did amount to a hill of beans, and he was fine. I think as long as he does that and, and gets himself, um, you know, one thing is you can see he's he's lost a little muscle definition. He looks thinner, which understandable. I think he needs to get some of that back and, and get some throwing in. But you give him two and a half weeks to get ready for that opener, I, th- I think he'll be just fine. But it was yeah. good to see, and I'm sure for fans it was great to see. Oh, absolutely. It was now I kind of ex- 
expect him not to play in the Rams game, but more maybe in the the uh, the scrimmage uh, practice. Day. I, I wonder if he's going to get into that more. I know that's. I, I would tell you this. I hope he doesn't if Aaron Donald comes comes to Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to mess with that. Right, right, yeah. That'll bring back too many bad memories. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, so Richard, so you also this is the a Cincinnati a sports podcast, so I don't yep. just cover the Bengals. I I cover the Bearcats and the Reds. Well, the Reds, there's not a lot to talk about about them right now. But let's talk about uh, Bearcat football right now and what Luke Fickle has coming into to this year, because they, they lost, a, you know, a lot. Let's be honest, they lost a lot from a college football playoff team and, you know, back-to-back undefeated seasons. So there's a lot to replace, but there's a lot of talent there. What, what's your thoughts on, on UC and, and this, this year's season? Yeah, I mean, if, if you were to tell me 10 years ago, UC were to lose their quarterback to, to the NFL draft in a round where, you know, he's not going to probably start this year, Desmond Ritter, but certainly he's going to be in the mix in the future for the Falcons. Right. You lose a wide receiver in Alec Pierce, uh, in an early round draft pick. Sauce Gardner is the number four pick in the draft. And there are three or four other guys that were taken. I always said, Ooh, good luck rebuilding. Um, it, this team is probably not going to be a college football playoff team like it was a year ago, but I still think it's more than legitimate enough to be ranked as they are in the coaches poll. I'm going to assume when the AP poll comes out, they'll be ranked there as well. Um, tough opener at Arkansas. Um, but you know, I don't see them losing more than a conference game, and I don't see them losing more than maybe the Arkansas game. And I, I, I guess you could argue Indiana will be a tough game, but it's here, so I feel better about that. Um, you know, you have a proven quarterback in Ben Bryant. He didn't really prove it here the first time around, but he proved it at Eastern Michigan, and now he's back competing for the job. Um, you know, they've reloaded in, in recruiting, and, and some of those guys are probably not ready yet. But, no, he's done such a good job of rebuilding – that roster and replenishing that roster and continue to fill in draft or uh, recruiting class after recruiting class, they're not taking a huge step backwards. Can I tell you, they're going to fight for a college play last year felt like it. I mean, that was, yeah. I mean, we talked about that all year long. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, the Notre Dame game was kind of it, you know, once they, mm-hmm. I, I thought they'd go to Indiana and win. And if they could go to Notre Dame and win, you open the door to go to the college football playoff. And yep. then every week the pressure built of, oh my gosh, they didn't beat this team by enough points. And oh my gosh, they didn't beat Tulsa yep. by enough or East Carolina by enough. But that whole season, it felt like after Notre Dame, it's a college football playoff team. And they proved it. Mm-hmm. They, they, hey, listen, we, I've seen Oklahoma in, in those college football playoffs give up 60 some odd points and get embarrassed and look bad. You see, they didn't embarrass themselves. I'm kind of disappointed they lost the way they lost because I didn't think they went down swinging in that bowl game. I, I, I thought they handcuffed Des Ritter quite a bit, but mm-hmm. no, I, Luke Fickle has done a great, great job. Um, now you're selling the big 12 on top of that when you're going to talk to recruits. And so, um, you know, that's also going to help you too moving forward depending on how this college football thing shakes out, if we end up with three conferences and the big 12 is one of them, and we have 12 teams, you have a much better chance of getting in as a one loss or maybe a two loss Cincinnati from the big 12. than you do having to sweat bullets for the last eight games of last year. They right. a, have to run the table and B look good right. doing it. Right. Exactly. That, yeah. That, the whole thing is, is, is blowing up again because the PAC 12 looks like it's disintegrating and it might merge with the, 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 the big 12, which I heard, I haven't heard this in a while, but I heard a rumor about an 18, team league or something like I don't know if all that's going to happen but either way it sounds like UC's finally in the right spot yeah to to be a part of whatever the next evolution of this right. it, is. And, and I'll be honest with you guys if, if they hadn't gotten absorbed by the big 12 I, I think you'd have been looking at, at a Luke Fickle looking to go somewhere else and understandably so because UC was going to be on Lost Island with some other schools. I'm I'm trying to figure out what's going to end up happening to, to, to the ACC. The SEC probably absorbs a few of them, but they're not going to absorb them all. And there's going to be a land of misfit toy colleges out there that are going to go, wait, we were just in a really good league two or three years ago. What's going on? UC's not going to find itself in that spot, and that's, that's a big, big thing. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that 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 may, that bodes well for me as a, a, a Bearcat and you know fan. So I, I'm always happy about that. For once, <laughs> we're we're no like we're gonna get left out. Now the the other cool thing about the, going to the Big Twelve, just just the way it is right now, is basketball wise. Oh, yeah. It is the best basketball conference in the country. Uh, it, it will yeah, be. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care about I don't care about Kansas coming here for football, but no. I think we all care about Kansas coming here for basketball, yes, right? Exactly. I mean, or, or going there. To yeah, or, yeah or going, yeah, or going, oh, or dude. going there. I've, be I've, awesome I've, to go there. I've covered games in a lot of arenas. I've not been to that one. My best friend, uh, one of my best friends, uh, went there on a day. He didn't go to a game, but he actually talked somebody to letting him into to the uh, to the college, to the field house there, and and uh, and said it was just he just stood in awe with his mouth open, just looked. Soak yeah. in the history. And so, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think it's going to make for, for great college basketball as, as well. Um, and, and, you know, especially, like I said, not excited when Kansas comes for football. I guess you can be excited for a 56 to 10 win, perhaps, but for basketball, for sure. To see an iconic program like that come here, I think would be great. Yeah, and on, hopefully on a semi-regular basis because the biggest yes. conferences, you know, yes. yeah, you never know. Year, but yeah, you never know how it's going to shake out. You may not play them every year. You're right. Right, right, exactly. So, Richard, let's let's get into to your background here. Now, like I said, I, I know I remember you from uh, the two anchor guys, you and Tom Gamble. And actually, I remember you from before that. I think you're you're on the score twelve sixty. Was that in the and then Bob and all, all yep. that other stuff? Yeah, we we started on Bob, and then we kind of worked our way around. Uh, we were with, with Chancellor Media, and they merged, and then we went to to iHeart where with with LW and that Tom Gamble and I did a morning show for about thirteen years, I guess it was. Um, did Sunday morning sports talk for about eight or nine years on on top of it on on WLW, uh, and then you know uh, occasionally in life it throws you a curveball and it did. And I've always been one of those guys. I've kind of been a two job guy. I've worked in newspapers in this town. I, I started at the Cincinnati Post in 1991 and worked for them and the Kentucky Post till about 03. Got out of the newspaper business for a couple of years. Got back in with the Enquirer. Worked for them until about uh, 2015, and then. Took the job. I'm out right now with Channel 12. I've done a bunch of stuff with Channel 12 since 2000, doing the uh, Sports Authority on Sunday night, doing some anchoring here and there as well. So I, I've, I've touched a lot of media tentacles in this in this marketplace. And, and I, I always feel really honored. I mean, I grew up in northern Kentucky. I went to the University of Kentucky. I have family that were West Siders, so I touched the tentacle of, of, of West yeah. Siders. Um, <laughs> yep. uh, I, I have a let me see. I have a, a cousin who's a Mercy grad. I have a a. Um, her husband was an elder grad. Their daughter's a Seton grad, and their son is a as a Saint X grad. Technically, not West Side, I guess, yeah. if you will, but still, it touches the tentacles of it's it. Close enough, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, so you know, I, I've always felt honored to really have come back here. I, I got out of college in '85 and, and went and worked at a small paper in Maysville, Kentucky, for a handful of years, um, and came back here in '91 and feel really blessed to have been working in media in this marketplace for you know, three plus decades now. And, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a quick ride. I've, I've covered a lot of great things from high. I love high school sports. I'm a big high school football fan. I broadcast a lot of, of high school sports as well. Still do to this day. In fact, they were doing this podcast. I'm going to go up and do a, a scrimmage soccer game for Lebanon tonight. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love high school sports. I coach high school basketball over in Northern Kentucky. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's always, like I said, it's a, it's an honor to, to, to come back to where you grew up. And, and teams you either rooted for or around or, or a part of. And, and I say that because I grew up as, as a Bengals fan. You get a little more jaded when you get older and you get in the media a little bit. But I, <laughs> I've told people, I said, you know, I don't do this anymore. But in 75, I can still remember I was just before, I guess I was just barely a teenager at that point. No, I wasn't. I was just short of teenage years. When they lost that 75 playoff game, they recovered a fumble late. They were down 31-28. Ken Anderson got sacked on a fourth down and I can remember crying like a baby. I mean, you know, so um, yeah. <laughs> I, I go, my roots go back to that. My dad, uh, my dad was a season ticket holder for as long as I can remember for the Bengals. 
this is where I give you the other part of growing up here, but not being a fan for what yeah, he, he grew up in Brooklyn. So he was a Dodger fan. So okay. as a kid, I was a Dodgers fan along with him against the big red machine. Those were, that was obviously the great rivalry yes. in the seventies, right? Yes. Um, Dodgers that. And then of course, as, as a kid, you kind of grow out of that and you go, well, I want my own team. So for some reason I started rooting for the San Diego Padres became <laughs> a Padre fan. And then, you know, work starts to take involved and you really don't have time to be a fan any longer. But right. it was, it was weird. Cause we would go to a lot of, we, we didn't have season tickets, but we'd go to a lot of Reds games throughout the seventies. And we'd always go when the Dodgers came into town, it always felt alien and foreign to kind of sit there with your mouth shut <laughs> while the Reds were kicking the Dodgers ass and, and, uh, and, and, and trying to root for the other team to win. Right. Exactly. Yeah. See, I, I was trying to remind my kids or not remind my kids, but tell my kids like when I was younger, the Reds were a, a legitly, they would win all the time. Like in the, yep. I was real young in the seventies, you know, they won multiple uh, world series and in the eighties, we finished second, you know, from what was that from 85? 80, uh-huh. 89. I think 89, yeah. before, right, right, right before 90, right before winning in 90. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Finished second all those years. I said, I said, if we had the playoffs like we did now, they would have won the playoffs every year. I said, so this whole stretch of the Reds, the last 20 years for me has been a struggle. And, and for, I guess for what you just said about how, the fans not showing up to Paul Brown Stadium, which is now Paycor Stadium, which maybe we'll call it the core. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I got I got to get used. To, I guarantee I'm going to write more than once here in the next few weeks with a game coming up. The game at Paul Brown Stadium. I have to go. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's not right. <laughs> exactly. But since uh, fans didn't show up, and that has a lot to do with you think how the Bengals have changed. The Red, fans aren't showing up at Reds games. I right. mean, uh, and and I'm a little. Ex- I'm almost excited, but I'm. Pleased with the trades that they made. At least we've got prospects. At least we just didn't give the guys away. Because I mean, yeah. we just we got guys who are legit prospects, and hopefully in a couple of years they'll be up here. Now my fear is by the time those guys are up here, then they'll trade Jonathan India, they get rid of Green, they get rid of you know all the big Afghans, all the pitchers and everything. They won't be able to keep them anymore. That's my yeah. fear. Yeah, it, it, it's a fair fear to have because they they've not followed through with whatever rebuilds they've done, and they've they've. Listen, they messed up in 15. They waited too late. They got very little value for all the guys they traded because of the all-star game being in town. They wanted to hang on to some some pieces that they shouldn't have hung on to. Um, it felt like they were all in the year of COVID. And unfortunately, the COVID hit that year and it cost them fans. It cost them revenue. Um, they squeaked into the playoffs and then it was ugly in the playoffs. And then last year, was kind of innings. yeah, oh. exactly. Then oh. last year was was, you know, it felt like they were still on the cusp of doing something, but they needed to make a move or two never did. And then this year when they started to make the early trades, it was okay. Terry, they should have just come out in March and said, listen, we're starting over. We've, right. I know you don't have to trust. Here's the way I would have phrased it. I get, I get, you don't have to trust us. Mm-hmm. We're, we're asking you to trust us on this one because we are going to try to do this the right way. We didn't do this the right way in 2015. Um, and it was clear back in March to trade Sonny Gray for a, for a, a, a rookie prospect who's just right. a class A kid at this point in the game to trade Winker and Suarez. I, I get those moves. And then unfortunately they heard the noise of what are you guys doing? And then they sign Tommy Pham and Donovan Solano and trade for Mike Miner. It's like, wait a minute, if you're going to cut costs now, just cut them. Right. Let's just hey, take that money. Tell us, Hey, we could have signed three guys for 20 mil, but we're saving that for when we're going to be good. We promise we'll spend it. Instead, you got that mishmash from Phil Castellini on opening day, which where are you going to go? Where are you right. going to go? <laughs> uh, the Bengal, uh, Twenty-eight thousand people came to Bengals practice. That's right. on the same day the Reds were playing. That's yeah. where they're going to go, Frank. Right. Exactly. But you're right. I think this time around, based on you know prospect lists, they did do a good job this time around of going and right. getting guys. Right. And I think that at that point, then. When you do have controllable parts, you pay those controllable parts. When you have to pay Hunter Green or Nick Lodolo or Graham Ashcraft 
or eventually Ellie De, De La Cruz, um, and then go out and spend on maybe that one or two guys, not five, six guys, that one right. or two guys that put you over the top. Um, but they, they, they were very clumsy in the way they handled this. And I get fans frustration with it for sure. Oh, I was completely pissed off. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was, I was so mad because last year, last year, I felt like we we're this close. If you could have right. went out and made a move earlier made, yeah. to go get a, a, an arm or two in a bullpen, it would have helped because how many games last year did they come back oh, yeah. and the oh, bullpen yeah. blew it over and all, I was so frustrating. And, and, you know, and then, like I said, if they just said, all right, we're going to rebuild, but then to try to give us the BS of, oh, we're trying to win. Like, no, no, we're not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> we know you're not trying to win. We can tell you trade all your best players. Yeah. I, I, Billy Bean has said it best. The Oakland A's GM, either, either you, you have a team that's capable of winning and you're going to do the extra mile to do that or just suck and restart the rebuild again. Right. I, there, I, I don't need 77 wins. I don't need oh. 82 wins. They build yourself for a playoff team or tear it down and start to build towards that playoff right. team. And they were, they were caught in that terrible land of, of middle ground that, that mm-hmm. again, you're right last year. Hey, you're close. Go make the move to put you over the top. And if not tear it down, let's go again. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say that. I mean, I, I, the two organizations that I can't stand, but I would like both my teams to be like is the Pittsburgh squealers, which I call them in a tweet. They've been great. Yeah. St. Louis Cardinals. That those two, that's the way the, I want my teams to be run because the Cardinals they don't go out and get. I mean, yes, they have all stars, but they build around it with their talent from the minor leagues. And then when they're in it, if they need to go get somebody, they have enough in the minor leagues where they can trade something that doesn't hurt them to go get you know an extra pitcher for you know down the stretch or whatever. That's I mean, what the Reds need to get to. Yeah, keep in mind they were in conversations for Juan Soto. It didn't work out for them to get him, but they were all they sounded like they were willing to try to get Juan Soto. I mean, right. so yeah, that, that's what you do when you're when you're when you're close is 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 make a move to go for it. And listen, I'm looking forward to seeing some of these young guys. I can't wait for the day to see Ellie Dela Cruz. Uh, hopefully he continues on the meteoric path he's on. And mm-hmm. maybe by the end of next summer we see him up here raking right. and ready to start things going for for 2024 and going, all right, a lot of pieces in place, getting closer. Um yeah. But yeah, you you can't try to sell fans on that middle ground. I think no. that's what they try to do. Of hey, don't look over here at us rebuilding. We're gonna get a couple of guys there. And then again, right. Phil's, Phil's comments oh. had no. What, what, what was he thinking, Richard? I honestly don't know. I doubled this. He doubled yeah, down do, on it. <laughs> yeah, I do think this. And he doubled down on. It, you're right. Um, you know, he did. I think hear the backlash towards his father about um, you know kind of doing things on the cheap and being discombobulated and all those things. And I think he got hurt by it. I think he felt like he was coming to his dad's defense, but you can't do that by attacking the fans. That's that's never a winning hand. Yeah. That completely (laughs) backfired. I mean, he'll, I mean, he will literally never hear it. I mean, they have to win a world series for, for, for yes. him to be forgiven for, for yes. that, you know, I mean, that's literally how far it's got, it's got to go. And that one thing, fans, can, fans can say, Hey, you know where we're going to go? We're going to go back to your stadium to watch a winning product. That's where right. we're going to go, Phil. Right, exactly. That's where we are. Now, one other thing real quick before I let you go Now, people have said, well, how many shortstops do you need? To me, you can never get enough shortstop because right. you play shortstop and you can hit, they'll find a place for you to play because you're athletic enough. You can play anywhere. So that's one thing I think that fans get it twisted sometimes. Like, why do we need so many shortstops? You never have enough shortstops, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting. Charlie Goldsmith of the Enquirer and I, and he covers both the Reds and Bengals, and we talk a lot of baseball kind of in downtime uh, around camp. Um, and he's got a piece uh, at Cincinnati.com. He's kind of put together a 2025 lineup, I believe it is. And if you look at that lineup, it's funny. He's got Jonathan India now playing the outfield at that point. He's got Jose Pereiro playing the outfield at that point. He's got Elliot La Cruz playing the outfield at that point, And Matt McClain playing second base. There's four shortstops. And you're right. 
you can move those guys anywhere. I mean, Robin Yount was a great shortstop. Yes. Now, Robin Yount would have made the Hall of Fame just as a shortstop oh, and absolutely. just as a center fielder. He was great at both, but he was athletic enough. Bill James years ago wrote what he would call the position pyramid, where if a guy could play shortstop, he could play, obviously, second base, but play center field and probably both, both corner outfield spots. I've now given you five positions for one guy. Chances are that guy can probably play third base. Chances are Ellie De La Cruz is six foot five. If worse came to worse, he could be a great first baseman for all I know. I mean, yeah, if you're a shortstop, listen, can you convert a catcher into a left fielder? Probably not. But can you convert a shortstop into just about anything other than a pitcher? And maybe in some cases he can be the emergency pitcher. Yeah, yeah you can absolutely do that. I'm with you. I, I think a lot of people made a way too big deal yes. of that. Um, a, they're all not going to pan out. I hope they do. Right. They do. It's a great point. And then listen, if you've got a surplus of them and you've moved a couple of guys around, they become trade pieces. They become right. great yes. trade pieces. So it's, it's not well, And hopefully that's happening when we're in a playoff run. So we right. have correct. these guys. I mean, that's, that's the whole correct. point to this exactly. is to have – extra pieces of, okay, you want this guy? Well, give us that guy for, you know, to help us down the stretch to go win a world championship. That's what, that's what winning organizations do. I mean, that's what the Tampa Bay Rays do all the time. I and mean, they don't ever spend any money. No, right. Correct. That's exactly it's, right. It's all, it's all from scouting and development. And that's where the Reds have failed for years, to be honest. I mean, it's been a long time since we've really had a, a, a pipeline. I mean, we have guys like we had Joey Votto, had Jay Bruce. We had those guys all came up at the same time. Then we didn't really have anybody again, you know. Well, and I, yeah, I did a piece so three or four years ago. I got some blowback from a couple of, of Reds fans on it, but it was literally the, the fact of how they had not really drafted and developed their own starting pitchers. The right. good thing now is when we look at them, Graham Ashcraft, Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green. All right, now you're starting that pipeline of doing that. You don't have to go out and spend a bunch on Trevor Bauer. You don't have to go out and spend a bunch on Sonny Gray. You've got your own guys. You're going to have to eventually determine whether you want to pay them when they right. get to their free agency, but you've got a long way off until that. That's how you do it. Build through the pipeline. And then we talked about it. Then, you know, the, the, I'll give another word. The Cubs did a great job of that. They had a bunch right. of young guys, the core mm -hmm. of guys. I know the argument they waited on Chris Bryant and it kind of screwed him, but listen, they waited to the right time to bring him up. And then right. when the, they had the pieces in place, it was okay. We need an extra pitcher. Let's go make this trade. We need maybe one more bat. Let's go make that trade. And what did they end up getting out of it? First right. world series championship in, in whatever seven, 7,000 years. Right. And so, yeah, that, that's you, you've got to build through your own pipeline if you're not a big market club, and then you add to it with with at that point if you've got all these guys under control, either they're barely arbitration eligible or they're not free agency eligible, all those things. Your payroll is going to be about like this that allows you then to go and right. spend on on the, the key veteran pieces. And so, yeah, I, I'm kind of I, I wasn't excited in 15 because it really didn't look like they did it the right way. And in retrospect, here we are seven years later, they didn't. I, I think they did this the right way. But it requires it requires everybody to go. All right, let's be patient again. And I know how hard that is. Mm, yes. Oh, it sucks. I mean, I, I keep telling everybody, I don't think we're going to be competitive till at least twenty twenty five. At least. I mean, I, I don't unless everybody hits next year right. and you see. Right. I, I hope next year we at least some see some growth. I, I'm excited yes. to see the guys. I want to see them come up here, and I'm wanting to go through the growing pain because I I can see what they're trying to do. I understand that now, yep. which I was completely pissed off before. I understand what they're trying to do. There's just, like you said, just stick with it. So let get these guys up here, let them play, let them develop, and let's see what we have at the end of 2025. And who knows? Maybe we're close. Maybe we're not, you know, but that's that's the the, the role or the, the the plan they're trying to go with right now. Yeah. And I, I, I that's, again, it's hard, it's hard to tell fans to be patient yet again. Right. Um, but just be honest with them. I think that's what they, yeah. that's what they didn't do very well of that. They, they were not very honest with the fan base and they tried to point the finger at the fan base and it's not the fan base's fault. It's your fault for not building. Right. 
you should never point the the the, the finger at your customers that are paying yeah. for the stuff. No, <laughs> you I, should I, never no, do that. I'll, I'll give the Brown family this: while they stumbled through some rough times of of trying to get this Bengals organization. The one thing they never did was point the finger at the fans of yes. why aren't you coming? And they've been pretty gracious. Um, you know, can't remember who asked the question, but we were talking to Duke Tobin at, at media day and it was a good question. I thought, and I thought he answered it the right way. He said, do you and people in the building feel vindicated um, for, for, for what you guys accomplished last year? And they could, he could have said, absolutely. You know what? No one believed in us. And no, right. he didn't take it that way. He said, no, it was a sense of accomplishment. And it was it was a, it was great to see the fans come back and back us. And I think that's the right tack to take. I mean, right. I'm sure he does feel vindicated. I get it. I mean, how guys like me are, are pissing all over them. And I think rightfully so when when they things weren't going right. well. Yeah, but listen, I, I get if you feel vindicated. And he didn't mm-hmm. take he took the high road with that. I thought that was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, exactly. Now, one thing real quick here, but since you brought Duke Tobin and I think Duke Tobin is is I don't think he cares about this of, of him actually ever being officially named. GM. That's basically right. what he is. That's basically but, what he is. But he can get all the praise without actually getting all the the the, the, the booze and the sarcasm it gets because he's not the general manager. It's Mike Brown. Well, and and that's the thing. I and and so those some of those drafts you mentioned the John Ross draft, the the Cedric O'Brien, Jake Fisher draft. When I understood why they did it, I mean they were looking for replacements down mm-hmm. the road for for at the time um, for. Uh, Martin uh, Jones and Muhammad yeah. Sanu. And, yeah, well, for, for, for no, Andre Smith, when they took yeah. those two guys, I, I got why they did that. It didn't mm-hmm. pan itself out. But the problem was when those drafts didn't pan out and Billy Price didn't pan out and John Ross didn't pan out, was I supposed to point the finger at Mike Brown or mm-hmm. Duke or Marvin? Right. And that's the thing. No, At that point, there was nobody to go, who's definitively to right. blame for, for, for this? Right. And at the point now, it's kind of, who should we point the finger to credit? Is is it Zach staff doing some talent evaluation or is it Duke staff in conjunction with Zach? And is it more Duke than Zach? That, that's the part now you, you, you'd like to be able to point the finger of credit somewhere, but you're right. Can't point the finger of credit. You can't point the finger of blame. And maybe it's a good way for them to be. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like, you don't, you get all the praise, but you don't get all the, pre- all the pressure. Cause I, I'm not the GM, you know, I don't know. Exactly. exactly. I don't think, I don't think Duke will ever, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever actually have an official GM other than no, Mike Brown. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you're right. Exactly. Anyway, Richard, I you give me like 42 minutes. I appreciate it. Oh, that'll you, great. What do you got coming up here? Uh, you know, on your podcast or or coming out on Local 12 here. Yep, I uh, had I got a feature today on BJ Hill up. Of course, the story on Joe Burrow coming back and and talking to Zach Taylor about him. Um, I got a story on Chris Evans coming up here in the next day or so. We'll have five things to watch. In, in it's funny, I'm putting together five things to watch because it's always an easy thing for us to do for a preseason game. And I made a list of about twelve things to watch, so I got to whittle that list somehow down to five things to right. watch. Um, and it's it's to watch without really probably watching many starters, but uh, that'll be up. The podcast will be up on Thursday. That story will be up probably on Thursday as well at, at local12.com. Awesome. Well, Richard, I appreciate you doing this. We'll definitely have to do this again, and I'll see you down at practice probably today, tomorrow, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Tomorrow, tomorrow, hopefully, it's a lot cooler than it was yesterday. Oh God, it was so hot yesterday. That was ridiculous. That's about as bad as I've been around. <laughs> oh, it was it was horrible. Anyway, thanks, Richard. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, I appreciate you having me. That's it.